0: Hey, if you've been following Talking Health Tech for a little bit, you'd probably know that we hold a quarterly summit. It's a full day virtual event and our members, our THT Plus members can attend and it's a great opportunity for networking and learning. The perfect example of edutainment in this space. Now we held our summer summit on the 3rd of February this year and all the recordings from those sessions are available for THT Plus members to watch in their own time on our website, just in the video section there. But I wanted to make a few sessions available for anyone to watch so they can get the full experience, see what our summits are like these days, and also to hear the perspectives from those operating in the space and making a meaningful impact when it comes to technology and healthcare. So in this episode today, and then the next two episodes that you hear as well, there'll be the audio from three sessions at the Talking Health Tech Summer Summit. Now as well, if you wanted to get the full experience, you can jump onto our website, talkinghealthtech.com videos, and you can watch these sessions as well. You can see the comments come up from attendees, you can see the speakers chatting live, but they work really well as podcast episodes as well, so you can listen while you're doing other things. So right now, this session today is featuring Richard Taggart from Sydney LHD and Dr. Malcolm Pradan from Alcideon. And you're going to hear Richard's perspectives on how Sydney LHD has responded to COVID particularly in the past 12 months. How they've gone about tearing down the traditional ways we deliver healthcare and how to do things differently in this new environment. You'll also hear Malcolm's reflections on how technology vendors have supported healthcare services through this time and the challenges and opportunities that are presented now that out-of-hospital care has been significantly brought forward and the role that technology plays there. So here we go, session four from the Talking Health Tech Summer Summit about evolving models of care. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen.
1: Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology.
0: With more healthcare being delivered from outside of the hospital walls and the increasing acceptance of virtual care in healthcare delivery, how else can virtual care better assist more patients and relieve stress on an overburdened healthcare system. This is session four of the Talking Health Tech Summer Summit titled Evolving Models of Care. I'll be moderating a session with Dr. Malcolm Pradhan, the Chief Medical Officer and co founder of Alcidian, who are helping healthcare organisations harness the power of technology to create a clinically relevant environment with digitally enabled care. Richard Taggart the CIO for Sydney Local Health District. We're providing healthcare services for more than 700,000 people living in the centre and inner-west of Sydney and beyond. So we've got Richard and Malcolm who've joined us for this one. Hey, guys, how are you going?
2: Good, thank you, Pete. I feel like I should have brought my shorts and a nice hat with that nice summer beat in the background. It was wonderful <laughs> to be here.
0: I'll tell you what. <laughs> There's no summer vibes in the weather in Sydney today. That's I uh, really got to represent.
1: You could be wearing ba- your shorts right now, Rich. We couldn't tell.
0: <laughs> we don't. We do an air of mystery. Yeah, yeah that's not, uh, this isn't the live stream that we need. And Malcolm, I've got ultimate jealousy of the background there as well too. Only one upped by. Malcolm Pradhan's live stream setup. I think that's sets uh, standard globally. I've
1: yep, um, yep. been uh, spending a lot of money at IKEA recently, so yeah, that's that's what's going on.
0: So. I think maybe we'll have to do a live stream, you and I, about like tips for everyone and how to like one up their <laughs> live stream setup. But that's not why we're talking today. I really am keen to jump in and learn a, a bit from both of you. But I wanted to start with Richard in particular. Last time we spoke was about 12 months ago at the Autumn Summit. You spoke more broadly about, I guess, public health generally and the impact just moving into COVID and what to expect there. But we're about 12 months in. Tell us a bit about the challenges of the real world of COVID and the setting that we're in now, particularly in a public setting in Sydney, LHD.
2: Yeah, happy to. And it's good to be back. I think all of us have got a COVID story that we could share. I mean, for us as a health service, we found ourselves... Very much on the front line due to the location that we're at, at Sydney local health district. So our large hospitals in the inner west were seeing patients very early on in the very early days of COVID. But we also, because of our location, had to play an important partnership role with the borders and spent a lot of time at Sydney airport. And then a lot of time providing quarantine services and services for people in special health accommodation over the course of the last almost two years for that time. So that's been really interesting, tearing down the traditional model of delivering acute and subacute healthcare and putting it into hotels and apartment blocks and airports, as well as dealing with the pressures of trying to run a, a normal health service when you've got staff who are furloughed by COVID or need to be working remotely because they're quarantining, and then patients who can't come in anymore and need to access care virtually. So it's been a lot happening. I guess we anticipated in our surge plans, that the health service itself would need to surge to cope with the demand. I don't think any of us quite anticipated just how many of our staff would actually get struck by COVID during the course of the last six weeks, and I think it's a common story across the system. I think my own department, we had about 25% of our people go through COVID over the last six to eight weeks, uh, all caught from the community, Uh, you know, people with young children going back to school, people who live in share houses. So that's been quite interesting. It's really tested our search planning, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Malcolm, from your perspective, no doubt technology is playing a big part in enabling all of this. You've picked up on a few of these challenges and helped with those along the way.
1: I think as everyone, you know, in the sort of vendor area, you know, we've been scrambling to support healthcare services through, you know, what's been an incredibly challenging time. And there's been a lot of discovery, you know, we sort of always knew that out-of-hospital care was going to be the future. We just thought we had another decade or so. You know, we didn't realise it sort of had to happen last year and this year. So there's a lot of changes that need to be made to support the out-of-hospital system, you know, evolving very quickly and adapting, you know, the tools that are right there now with augmenting those to support the kind of care models that are required to do all the incredible things that, you know, SLHD and other healthcare organisations have been doing, particularly at the front end of that patient load and managing complexity so it's quite a challenge because you're also trying to influence you know people are learning as all this is evolving and then you're trying to support them but then they're so busy and as rich was saying staff are burdened already with what they have to deal with in terms of covid but then staff going out and being furloughed because of getting sick or contact, you know, precautions, et cetera. So it's been a really complex environment and it's really been a challenge to be able to keep an eye on where things are needing to go while at the same time, you still got to go through a quality process of developing software and valid testing and all of the other processes that go on and particularly in the healthcare area. So it's unlike, say, the internet where you can just go, you know, let's move fast and break things. But in healthcare, you know, we have to move fast and not break things, which is way harder. And that's been a real challenge, I think, over the last couple of years in how to support our customers and partners to do what they need to do to deliver healthcare.
0: I want to pick up on that in particular, because from what I've witnessed anyway, in particular, Sydney LHD and some of the initiatives that you've led out of there, Richard, a lot of them, it's difficult to be one of the first movers, particularly in a public health setting, let alone just health in general. Take me through some of the thinking in terms of implementing some of these solutions and delivering healthcare with technology, kind of like flying the plane and building it at the same time. (laughs) Like, How do you go about doing some of that in such an important setting?
2: Look, with enthusiastic people like Malcolm helping us, with very understanding and accommodating clinicians and also learning from others. So we've trailblazed in a few areas, but we've also picked up things that have been pioneered by others. You know, the best thing you can do when you're trying to solve problems quickly is beg, borrow and steal from people who've been there before and so a lot of the models that we've implemented are based on tried and tested approaches either to use video conferencing in healthcare consultations to use remote monitoring to develop various interventions that can help patients in quarantine or in their own home you know we've been leveraging evidence around the world to build that i guess the challenge for us has been that we had so much scaling to do so quickly uh, the quarantine hotel really tested our mettle because we had thousands of people coming through every day and these were returned travelers who we're not necessarily your backpackers or your healthy people that had gone on holiday. These are return travelers who had unmanaged diabetes, unmanaged cancer. We had pregnant women who hadn't seen their doctor throughout the course of their pregnancy because they were waiting to come back to Australia. And then they're in quarantine for 14 days. So you've got to create new models of care and you've got to pull in a whole quaternary health service around what can sometimes be relatively simple technology, but you've got to scale it quickly. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. The areas that I'm interested in to really explore in 2022 and beyond, where we've started to see not just a substitution of face-to-face care with video, but really a redefinition of care by using the soar and forward model of capturing information from patients or interacting with patients, or even using things that leverage machine learning and other artificial intelligence platforms to help that just completely radically transform that patient engagement. My favourite one by far is the clinical trial that we ran uh, with our virtual wound care management. Those of you who would be across wound management know that it usually involves pretty unpleasant states in hospital. Uh, It's often very uh, unpleasant for the patient because they have to spend a long time just sitting around waiting for things to heal. They have a lot of interaction with nursing staff. They have a lot of interaction with pharmacy staff and other allied health professionals to get their wounds looked after. And it's very inconvenient for them And we used an app as part of a clinical trial where we were taking photographs, allowing the patients to take photographs, giving them control of their own care plan. We're able to discharge those patients a lot earlier, and also transition a lot of their what were traditionally face-to-face visits to at home. And we compared that to a traditional model of care, and the results have just blown us away. You know, we saw a shorter length of stay, better patient outcomes. Uh, We saw lower pain. We saw better healing time. And all of that was using what we would consider relatively simple technology, but just elegantly put together.
0: I think it's a nice way to put it is that, you know, the technology doesn't need to be overly complex. It's more about how it all comes together. And Malcolm, more broadly than, you know, seeing in other parts around the healthcare settings, is there anything that you've seen that's a good demonstration of what we can potentially continue to see moving into 2022 and beyond?
1: Yeah, I think the focus is particularly in um, current healthcare models, you know, it's very much relying on clinicians looking at the patient and then looking at the data that's generated manually and and I think then setting out some sort of plan and the logistics of that are complex within the hospital and they just get super complex, you know, outside of hospital and community. And I think part of the challenge is just to get away from the idea that some clinician has to look at every bit of data. You know, the idea is that as we're collecting, you know, more granularity of data from wearables, from devices, or from you know, images that may be taken from apps, etc. How do we automate some of that risk stratification? And then that's contextual as well, depending on the comorbidities. As, as Rich was saying, you know, it's not everyone's not the same. You have to also customise plans and what something means for an, you know, an individual like a new blood pressure or, or whatever, or even a weight or something, you know, it depends on what comorbidities they have and what is the meaning of that. So we've got to build in that sort of level of smarts into the technology, so you can monitor thousands and thousands of people out in the community where they're feeding in data and they're sure that if anything is trending in an adverse way, that it will be brought to someone's attention escalated. You know at the moment we sort of have this view where individual clinician has to keep looking at everything, and we have to kind of start looking at how do we transition to more automated model with clinicians handling changes in healthcare trajectory rather than just basic data checking.
0: Yeah, totally. And I've noticed there's some good discussion that's happening in the chat there that's following a bit of a theme. If I take, you know, from George talking about the the potential for residential aged care to be an extension of hospital care, but also Richard speaking about the need for more inclusion around GPs and rural. So there's often Mm. these discussions start to come up about not just bringing everything together in a hospital setting but looking more broadly at the healthcare ecosystem is there work and thoughts that you guys have in relation to the importance of that i might start with richard and then go to Mm. to malcolm
2: there's some really nice comments in the chat i wouldn't mind just picking up on what george why is saying about residential aged care i think not only with the royal commission but also the impact that COVID has had on the sector it shows us that we need to do more to really tear down these artificial boundaries that we have in the way that healthcare is delivered and managed across the system. It's very archaic, based around funding models, the difference between federal, state, private. Actually, at the end of the day, we have a vulnerable member of our community that has contributed to their community for most of their life that now in a setting where they should expect it should deserve the best possible and the highest standards of care and be as comfortable as possible We've done our best through the course of the pandemic to really engage with both the publicly operated and privately operated residential aged care facilities and use virtual care, but also what we call our flying squads to go out and assist them. We've identified areas where we've helped strengthen with governance, with supplies, with training, or just being there to support those clinicians and staff members working in those facilities. But we really do need to do more This, I think, needs to be a reckoning from 2022 and beyond that we cannot turn a blind eye to the challenges our aged care sector has. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the challenges there, as pointed out, and it's similar in a way to the rural sort of side of things as well. And we do some work with our friends at Murrumbidgee Local Healthcare District and uh, where you've got even... Within the hospital, you've got GP, VMOs operating smaller hospitals or clinics, and you might have complex patients there. And, you know, when do you bring them in and who do you escalate to and who's responsible? You know, because we've got this, sort of very clear lanes of the healthcare system. And what we're saying is that even in an out-of-hospital program, and this came up with a project we're doing in South Australia around chronic disease management, even for a hospital run, if you like, telephone video service, the escalation points were still the GP. And then how do you bring them into the loop and how do you make sure that the key data elements, you know, if someone's escalated, can we check have they turned up to their GP or not? Have they attended the appointment? What medication changes have been done to feed back into the chronic disease management program? And it's a very similar thing in terms of aged care as well. Who do we escalate to? Um, I guess I think about that a lot because, you know, our platform's designed around decision support and notifications and escalation. So, I'm always, you know, our big area is, well, who are we escalating to? Who, from a clinical governance perspective, who's responsible? But that can change as depending on the kind of changes that occur. There are some governance challenges, there's funding challenges, but culturally as well. And then how do we break open those silos, you know, from the hospital and GP, different systems to allow key bits of information to occur at real time. So we know what's actually happening across, you know, from the consumer's point of view, they kind of think it should be a single system and, you know, are often shocked when it isn't. And I think we have to kind of we're able to sort of wave our hands around that to a certain point. But these new pressures are, are going to challenge those current lanes that we're sort of traveling in.
0: I'm saying that in the chat too, you know, in and amongst some of the OGs arguing about how many videos they watch on YouTube, but that's as an aside point there. But the other conversation that was happening in here was around that point of, you know, Will's mentioned around getting that clinician buying in, but also more broadly about a cultural. um, Yeah.
1: So, you know, there's that expression, I think, you know, I can't remember who said it originally, but, you know, you shouldn't let a good crisis go to waste. And at the moment, you know, before COVID we had burnout happening And then COVID just added to that and, you know, hopefully we'll get back to speak about clinician burnout because we just haven't, there's been no room to even think about it because COVID just added all this extra pressure. What we talk about in terms of decision support is separating out memory tasks from judgment tasks, right? So what we're, you know, if we don't reduce cognitive burden and, automate certain things first there's no win in it because at the moment a lot of clinicians particularly with technology when they hear about technology it's just more time they have to spend and the wins aren't always there so interestingly when we talk about that to clinicians and talk about it all about automating stuff that should be automated you know so actually when we talk about a lot of decision support some of the you know i think clinicians are having to make too many decisions that they really don't need to some of it is just remembering oh this person's kidney function's not going so well i better go check it up and then if i do this i need to change his some of that's just standard stuff mm. and so you know we're not talking about fancy ai diagnoses or anything like that even we're just saying automating the stuff we already know so people have the time to think about you, know, you can't have a conversation about new models of care and all these other things if someone just is struggling to get home on time every day that just doesn't happen i mean okay these are people who are under a lot of pressure. So, the first point of decision support is to reduce, is to give people back some time and reduce their cognitive burden. And if you go in with that approach, you don't get arguments from clinicians, in our experience.
0: Nice one. I saw Pat mention something here which might eloquently kind of bring things together. In terms of what's driving some of these evolving models of care, do you think this, the strain on the health and aged care workforce is going to be the biggest driver for us to try and continue to shift, you know, like COVID brought around the necessity to do things virtually in different ways, but ongoing, is this going to be the biggest driver? Richard, I think
2: partially, I would say there's another important driver here and, and that's the patient and their family and the technology that we're starting to see implemented across the health system where consumers and families get more control of their own information and take more control of their own journey through the health system. I think that's going to start to move the needle in, in really different ways. And we as a health system need to get better at sharing some of our inner workings and inner secrets. You know, if you want to navigate, if you've got a chronic condition or you've got something wrong with you and you want to navigate to get access to specialist advice in the health system currently, I've got a feeling like you need to say good luck. You know, you have to go to the GP who may or may not know who you need to see. You may, then might need to go to an emergency department who may or may not be able to help you, you have to bounce around the system before you're able to work out what's the right journey for you to go on. And then even then, it might change several times. We've got some great opportunities to use virtual care to transform that and involve consumers more and giving them more choice. And we also have to get better at accepting that consumers can make decisions. They can do more self-management. They can do more self-monitoring. And we need to get more comfortable about accepting those outside of the hospital walls.
0: want to come back to a point that you made as well richard just to you know continue on that a little bit but to pull back to you mentioned that more acceptance of some of these tools that allow some asynchronous communication and you've touched on some examples there and i know within the vendor community good representation here at this event as well as clinicians too often that conversation kind of ends with well if no one's going to pay for it then it's not going to happen but We've seen also that there's kind of things we can be doing in the interim to be able to demonstrate the effectiveness of these types of tools. So it sounds like there's room for us to start utilising these things now and demonstrate the effectiveness of some asynchronous communication tools that clinicians can pick up in between things and stuff like that. Absolutely,
2: there is. And I think the business case stacks up pretty nicely for a lot of these tools, right? It's a lot more expensive to have you in an acute facility than it is to have you in home getting virtual care advice. And often for the patient, that's a better clinical outcome for them as well. So there's an awful lot to be said for the very foundations of those business cases. I think that what I really need to see a bit more of is the vendor community taking some bets on hardware and software that is going to be more of that redefinition space. We Mm. typically move towards the things that are safer bets in digital health because we want to try and get in and land and expand. But... Actually, now is the opportunity where health departments like mine are looking for new models. We're looking to transform the way that we provide care. We're looking for that new device, that new software that's going to help us make something different for our patients rather than just something that's just you know video-only enablement, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, mm. no, that's great.
1: And I think that's part of an education thing as well, You know, both in terms of co-design, because we're not just designing purely for a consumer. It's in a system which is dealing with clinicians as well and the kinds of interactions that we need to support. And I think also even just defining, you know, we keep talking about, well, what data do we show patients, for example, and the idea that you have the same display of the data for the doctor or for the patient. And I think that's also really interesting to see, you know, how do we adjust not just to language, but to levels of healthcare literacy and engagement models. So there's a whole lot of areas in this. It's a very big area. And I think we're just really starting out to move down to take those things into account to build out these kinds of really, you know, isn't it so
2: exciting that we can now start to address some of those challenges. You know, there's there's a whole landscape to go at, and the technology is it's cheaper. It's more accessible. I'm sure there are people on this call already knocking out apps and all sorts of ideas that in the next five to 10 years, we're going to really see transform the system. It's never been a better time to be in digital health. Yeah. I think Rich, like
1: myself, you know, have pathological optimists around this, obviously, I was we're still in the game. But, but you know, in the past, you know, I agree with you. It's not a technology problem now. It, you know, that's the good part. That's the bad part. It's more of a people problem, which is sometimes a bit harder, <laughs> well, at least for me, to, to deal with. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's right. The technology pieces are all in place. It's really about how do we work together to shape the tools.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's some really good closing comments, but just to start closing out this conversation further, there's some great conversation that's happening in the chat, echoing a lot of the sentiments around the importance of co-design and patient choice and bringing some of those elements into these things. But if there was one or two key points to take away from this conversation, I'll go to Malcolm and then Richard to close out. Look, I think it's
1: been so many challenges. And I think where we're landing up is that, you know, it is collaborative. It is going to require a lot of different inputs to evolve the technology in terms of really, again, just being more than the simple video or simple text message and into a really what we're trying to do is create smart assistance for clinicians and smart concierge tools for patients so people can travel the journey through the healthcare system in a way that meets what they need. And I think those working with people like uh, Rich and his team is fantastic because I think there's a, there's a lot to learn over the next couple of years.
2: Indeed.
0: And Rich, final mm-hmm.
2: thoughts? I think 2022 is, is really going to be the year that we see some amazing things happen in virtual care in Australia and beyond. And I would just encourage people to be bold and brave and to look for new models that redefine how people access the health system. And, you know, if you have challenges or you get resistance, that probably means that you're in an area where you need to push a bit harder. So I encourage you to do so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like the feedback from the session generally is that you guys need to push harder as well. You're looking great apparently. So continue the great work and let's keep the conversation going in the chat as we move on to the next session. Thanks, guys, so much for your time. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode, and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.